fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Dave Martino is here. You're not Rose anymore. I'm not? No, you were just Rose for the old run, you know. Okay. You know, I I had to get him. He was confused. Yes. So, I love it. We have a baby boomer on. We got to confuse them. So, okay. Yeah, didn't know. So, you didn't know what to call you, right? But, we'll have to pick another flower. Yeah. <laughs> well, here we go. Now, and now this week, another week. And, um, it looks like a lot of it is horror this week. It's going to be a scary wow. week. So, yeah. get your chastity built. <laughs> uh, so today we're starting. Uh, Crystal Lake sent us, uh, a writer and there's a new book out and, uh, one of the writers. Curtis Lawson. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, Curtis, what are you doing writing horror? Like, what's going on here? Are you a big-time horror writer? We've never had you on the show, so tell us who you are. Where did you come from? So I've been writing uh, I've been writing novels and short stories, um, primarily in horror since 2015, um, but I kind of fell into that backwards. I was doing comics for about 10 years before that very unsuccessfully. And, um, I had lots of money worth of comic art for projects that never ended up going anywhere on my computer. And I realized that I was taking thousands and thousands of dollars away from my young family. <laughs> um, couldn't really justify it anymore. So I wrote a novel and I kind of accidentally fell into a publishing deal with it. So, I, and it, did okay, so I figured this is what I do now, and um, I've been much more successful with that than I was in comics. Um, most of my stuff, as I said, has been in the horror genre or horror adjacent. Um, most of it has some sort of supernatural element. Um, I guess I'd call it all dark fiction, but um, yeah, it's been a pretty good, you know, eight years or so doing this, and I've I've had more success than I would have expected um, in not huge money, but in the sense that I've, I've gotten to um, to hang out with, with people who I have wild re- amounts of respect for. And I've had authors who I love come up and ask me to sign my books. And um, it's just, it's been very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting business. But it, it, so we, when you were doing comics and all that stuff and you say, you know, unsuccessfully, so obviously it wasn't like a, a big money thing going on what's the difference for you when you're doing uh um comics uh were they horror as well were they kind of on the darker side and then now you've gone into writing more or is it because i i find it it's kind of a fascinating area comics yeah for me so i had gone into comics with the idea that i wanted to write for marvel like i wanted to write x-men that was my big thing you know and I, um, most of what I was doing was kind of dark or horror adjacent, even kind of the superhero stuff that I did. I did a, a webcomic called Curse of the Black Terror, which was, um, 
it's a public domain character from the golden age and I, I kind of reimagined him and such. And even that was kind of horror-ish. And I did a sci-fi webcomic called Divis Morde, which was still kind of horror-ish. And I did this um, mentorship program through Comics Experience with Mike Seglain, who was an editor at Disney. And Mike, after working with me for a while, he said, man, you're, you're a horror guy. You want to write horror, so just write horror. Like, stop trying to stop trying to write superhero stuff, or like, you know, what? Stop just trying to jump at opportunities. Write the stuff that you want to write. And I started doing that, and I was much more successful after that. Um, but comics are just a tough business in general. It's it's hard to get people to look at your writing. You can look at a, pay, a comic page, the art, and you know, as an editor, if you like the artist or not. But it takes a lot more investment to to know if you like the writer or not. Right. I would imagine it's, 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 it's a totally different way of doing it because when you go to look at a comic, you're in a different mindset. And I would think, I don't know. I just, I just, I don't know how to explain it, but it, it would seem very different. What do you find most challenging now about writing horror as compared to doing the comics? So I think the, the challenge thing, well, first off, people say I have a really cinematic writing style, and I think that comes from doing comics for so long. I just have kind of a visual storytelling sense. But I guess that um, what I find challenging is that I did a lot of studying of visual storytelling when I was doing comics, um, not just uh, sequential art, but also cinema. And I read books, you know, like David Mamet's book on directing and all this stuff. Um, so sometimes I'll have things that I want to show in a certain way that I can't really do quite right with prose, things that would really have to be expressed visually. Um, and I'll try to, it, it's cool because it doesn't challenge me as a writer and make me kind of have to get more creative, but sometimes I just can't do it the way that I, I have it in my head because it just doesn't work with the written word. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest challenge jumping from comics to writing uh, prose for me. Yeah, it's much easier just to slit the throat than to, to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this book you're doing, when we look at this book, there's several writers. What is the book about? Maybe explain the format sure. or the uh, premise. Sure. So it's, actually, it's an unholy triquetra. It's the Volume 9 in the Dark Tide series from Crystal Lake, and it's my, me, William Meikle, and Jason Parents. And Jason invited uh, William and I onto the project, and he said, hey, do you guys want to write some Celtic-themed horror stories? So I write a lot of mythology, or myth mythology-driven fiction anyways. Uh, there's a lot of, like, Norse mythology and stuff in my, in my work, as well as stuff like Lovecraftian mythology and such. Um, and I hadn't really explored much for Celtic stuff except for one short story. Um, and Jason had this basic event uh, centered around a plane crash over the French Alps, and that's the event that kind of ties all of our stories together in some way, is this plane crash. And my story centers around a, a corrupt federal agent who's bringing uh, a mob informant back to the States and... He's basically working for this mobster who wants to get this guy killed and, and silenced. But they end up crashing in the Alps, and they, they both survive. The informant takes off because he knows he's going to get killed, and they, they kind of go through this valley in, somewhere in the Alps, and 
they get into a conflict and blood is shed, which awakens this ancient god, Baylor, who's trapped kind of beneath this, this cavern in the valley. And it gets kind of um, sinister and out of control from there. But I wanted to touch upon, um, in Irish mythology, there are these beings called the Fomorians, and they're kind of like a pre-Celtic, like pre-human race that was supposed to inhabit Ireland before man. And I've always been obs- kind of uh, um, obsessed with pre-god-type beings, whether they be titans or frost giants or anything that came before kind of the established pantheon. You always have these kind of primal, almost chaos gods that, that fathered the gods that populate mythology. Um, and the Fomorians kind of tie, or they kind of fit that model. So I thought it would be kind of cool to explore that. You take a lot of uh, liberties in, in uh, working with this uh, mythology uh, to, I, I guess, uh, uh, make the plot work, or is this something where you can kind of follow the mythology as, it, as it's been established? Um, I, I took a fair amount of liberties. There's um, there's a monster in there. I'm gonna butcher this because it's Gaelic. Um, but I think it's called. Uh, I think it's pronounced Sluoff, which is like an undead, um, kind of vengeful ghost. And I have one of those in here. Um, and I followed that fairly accurate to the mythology. Um, but as far as the god Baylor goes. I, I did definitely took some liberties with that, mainly because, uh, specifically with Celtic mythology, so much of it is lost. We have just so little of it because when Christianity came to Ireland, they pretty much wiped out all of the Irish history before that. So you just had bits and pieces. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of blanks that you have to fill in if you're going to try to write a story with these things because it's. The information is just not there. When, when you're doing a book like this, is it the same uh, when you're writing your characters? Do you, do you develop them the same way? Do they come to you the same way as, let's say, something else that's not Celtic? Um, yeah, they come about the same way. For for a lot of my stories, I start kind of with um, uh, an emotional or psychological or philosophical theme. So for this one, I wanted to write about the idea of being in an inescapable situation. And so the federal agent, he's freaking out at the beginning of the story because his wife's not answering the phone, and he thinks that she left because he's kind of, like, abusive, and she's stuck in this abusive relationship with him, and he's stuck under this mob boss's thumb, and the informant's stuck in this situation where he's going to get killed because he knows too much, and even the god Baylor is bound in this valley you know, where he's trapped. So I really wanted to explore the idea of people being trapped in different aspects of their lives, and that's how I kind of developed the characters for it. And that's the same way I go about other other stories, whether I'm exploring resentment or, or love or whatever the case may be. Do you have a – and I ask this, you know, do you, of a lot of writers, do you have a, a relationship with your characters? Do you feel like there's – and how do you consider them? It depends on the character. Uh, like these ones, you know, it, I wouldn't say that I, I have any like strong bond with these particular characters. They they fit the story. They fit the needs of the story. But there are certain characters that I, I definitely have. I put more of myself into, I suppose. Um, I wrote a book called Blackheart Boys Choir, and I always kind of use the the saying that it's emotionally autobiographical. So, you know, the events in it didn't happen, but a lot of it is based on how I felt as a teenager. And the main character 
has a lot of the the same troubles and flaws that I had as a as a young man. Um, and then there's other stories where I'll put different parts of myself into there. I wrote a story called um, Miss Athena in the Coffin Maker's Book of Dark Tales, and that's um, goes into a little bit more of my my softer, tender side and such. So. Um, yeah, it really depends on the story and what it needs based on how based how much I put of myself into it for the needs of the story. Well, you mentioned that um, you're a very uh, visual storyteller, but do, do you have an inner monologue? Can, can you hear your characters? Is that how you create dialogue, or is there some other way that you do it? I do have a, I have a strong inner monologue, and um, once again, depending on the on the story the characters will have a, a more real or developed voice to me. Um, once again, like in Blackheart Boys Choir, that, that's told first person, present tense. So when I was writing that, it had to, I had to be immediately in that mindset. So the character of Lucian has a very strong kind of voice in my head. And then I wrote um, this book, It's a Bad, 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 Bad World. And it's it's an ensemble kind of cast, but the the character that most people come to is this, mercenary named the Rhodesian and um, he's one that really developed in my head as far as you know his voice and everything um, and even when I was doing that book I was you know researching like Rhodesian accents and stuff like that um, so once again, I guess it depends on how much the character how important the character is to the story and how much they resonate with me as I create them well, so where does the Celtic interest in, in that come from for you well, I'm just generally interested in mythology. I mean, I, I am of Irish and Scottish ancestry, so there's that part of it um, for sure. But I just, I really like mythology and comparative mythology. I like comparing creation myths and end-of-the-world myths um, and seeing how these, I guess, similar ideas and symbolisms evolved in different parts of the world and you can see a lot of universalism in just in like the creation myth of most cultures. You know, like I said before, you have these kind of primordial chaos gods, which give birth to, uh, you know, a, a race of gods of order or such, some such thing. Um, and that goes across a lot of cultures. And I'm very intrigued by that, that kind of universal truths that are hidden within mythology, whatever that mythology might be. So now in your story, you know, the plane crash and the federal agent and um, the survival in the remote valley and stuff, and when you talk about the location, how, how, how do you write the location? Do you write it like a character, or how do you describe that? For this one, absolutely, it was like a character because... It's kind of unclear in my story whether they're still in our world or if they've kind of slipped into, you know, some some parallel world. And that I wanted to create a sense of both claustrophobia and isolation. Um, and I do that, you know, from the plane itself to being stuck in this valley, and then they end up in this cave system. Um, so that sense of, of claustrophobia and the the environments almost kind of trapping them as well, that was very much like a character in the story. Um, and I do that with a lot of things, I think. I, I have a collection called Devil's Night, which is all stories that take place in Detroit in uh, on Devil's Night in 1987. 
and the city is very much a character in that. So I think that in a, a lot of cases, it's a huge benefit to have your environment or your location or whatever be just as much of a character as, as anyone else in the book. Now, do you consider yourself um, more of a quiet horror writer or more of an extreme horror writer, or are you somewhere in between? I would say somewhere in between. I don't consider myself an extreme horror writer, but I definitely have some stories that some of my my less horror-friendly um, loved ones and friends aren't keen on reading because um, they're a little <laughs> bit too violent or gory. So I would say I'm somewhere in between. I But I'm definitely, I wouldn't consider myself like a splatterpunk or extreme horror guy, but um, but I can get gory. Now, when you talked about claustrophobia and the uh the location and the, as a character and stuff like that. Are you a person that do you outline this whole sort of scenario and then put your, your characters into it? Or are you just doing this one day at a time? I'm like, I'm such an outliner. I, I've tried to write without an outline before and it just, it doesn't go anywhere. I just monologue forever. Um, <laughs> there's no narrative ever comes from it. So yeah, I, I, I meticulously outline anything, even short stories before I write them. Um, I guess it depends on, once again, on the size. It might just be a couple note cards saying, you know, act one, act two, act three. Um, but on bigger stuff, I'll have, I use color-coded note cards in an app, and I have all the character arcs on different colors and um, different storylines going. So outlining is, is an important part of my process. Well, you mentioned, you know, being an outliner. Do, do your characters ever surprise you? Do they, are you able to keep them on that, that outline, on that plot, or do they go off the rails and, and kind of take the plot with them? Oh, they can definitely go off the rails. I think that's one of the things you, you have to adjust to, um, and maybe not everybody, but for me, I've had to adjust to the fact that that outline is just, you know, it's, it's just a suggestion. It's in sometimes you'll realize that this doesn't make sense. The way you've developed this character, this action doesn't make sense for them to take. Or, um, you know, as you're writing it, you'll just get some, you'll know that this character wants to do this thing instead. And you have to rework your plot a little bit and figure out another way to get from point A to point Z. Or or maybe it changes everything entirely. Um, and that's kind of a beautiful thing too. It's just um, while I'm doing that though, if I have to, remap i'll remap but i can't just kind of follow that to its end without the remapping but yeah the characters definitely can take over so with your outlining idea or do you do you have kind of a um, let's say a, a subtext or an idea or some sort of meaning underneath the story you know under the entertainment and uh, all the all the wild stuff going on and the gore but is there is there kind of a meaning you want a reader to take away from it? So my big thing when I write anything, um, whatever theme I'm talking about or philosophical idea or emotion, um, I never try to present my view or my answer to anything. I just try to ask questions, and I hope that I can get people thinking about those questions and they can come up with whatever answers make sense to them. Um, I really dislike when fiction in particular asks a question and then answers it for me. I don't want to be told what to think. I want things that, that will, you, that will, you know, get my mind going. And I try to do that as a writer. I try to, 
pose questions that will be interesting to the reader without telling them, and here's the answer, here's what you need to think. Um, well, and sometimes it happens organically, right? Sometimes it just comes out of the story. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And how do, how do you think the, this actual particular book, this story, has changed you as a writer or even as a person? Well, it was it was a little bit of a hard story for me to write because I I planned it one way and I wrote it and I realized that it simply it wasn't long enough and I had to go back and kind of rethink the structure of it and I think that it made me you know like any story it made me grow my toolbox and made me kind of I needed to adapt I needed to change the story to to fit the word count and such. Um, but I needed to do it in a way that would be justified to the narrative. Um, so it pushed me out of my comfort zone a little bit, and um, I thought that was that was important. It's always important to kind of push your your limitations or what you're comfortable with. And it also opened up, as I said, I, I've mainly I've worked in a lot of mythology kind of things with my stories, Native American mythology, Norse mythology, Lovecraftian stuff. Um, and I hadn't done a lot with Celtic. Um, so it kind of opened up a new interest for me and something that I, I'd like to explore more. So tell tell me about your co-writers. Tell tell us some gossip. Like what what how how bad are they? What do they do wrong? Well, um, I'll tell you, Jason. We did a another interview earlier today, and Jason Parent was late. I had to text him. And get, uh, <laughs> no, um, they're awesome. Uh, Jason is a good friend of mine. He lives pretty close, and um, yeah, he's a fantastic writer. Very diverse writer. He writes science fiction and horror and thrillers. Sometimes he's funny. Sometimes he's very serious and, and emotional. Um, and he's just a, he's, he's a really cool guy. Um, he owes me awesome. a steak. And, yeah, well, there you go. Okay, that's something. And uh, Willie is, Willie's just a fantastic writer. I don't know him as well. Um, he lives in Nova Scotia, I think. Um, and yeah. <laughs> and um He's just, I've talked to him a few times, though. He's a really interesting guy. He has a lot of cool stories, a lot of cool insights on writing. Um, and he's just a, a fantastic storyteller. And uh, I'm very proud to be in a book with both of these guys. Um, it's really wonderful to see your name next to people that you really respect. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. It can be a, a thrill, you know. Um, have, have you ever done a story or been working on a story and it just doesn't work? You just can't get it? Can't finish it. Oh, all the time. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that happens quite a bit. In, I found though that sometimes if it's a story that's not working and I, I push, I really push. Sometimes you know it's a grind. Like you know, every word fights you getting it down on the page. You know, the story just doesn't want to come out of your mind and into the world. And if I grind through that, sometimes they become my favorite stories that I write, um, even though they're. At the time, I hate writing them, but once they're finished, I can look back and say, hey, you know what? I'm actually really proud of this one. It came out really good, um, and that happens a fair amount, so it does push me to try to finish stuff even when it it isn't working, but there's been some bigger projects. I had one where I was trying to write the story um, about, uh, about druids, actually, so going back to the Celtic thing, and I had sent it out to some people because it, it just wasn't coming along, and Everybody said the same thing. They said, you know, your villain's awesome and your main character has nothing. Like, why is this the main character? Like, she's completely boring. There's nothing to her. Um, 
So sometimes you realize that you got to start from scratch because some key elements isn't working, um, or you just put it aside. And well, there are times where I'll just I'll put something that I thought I was going to love, I'll put it aside, and I'll just kind of gut it over time. I'll take little bits of it and incorporate it into other stories. So now this is um, book nine of ten in the Dark Tide Mysteries. So what is the Dark Tide Mysteries? How can you explain what is that? So uh, the Dark Tide series is really um, just uh, like different groups. They're all books of three novellas from a lot of the most exciting writers in indie horror. And I think it was just, there's the name. I don't think there's anything really more to it than it's Crystal Lake and, you know, Dark Tide, the whole water theme. Um, but they're all, they all have these very cool covers with similar color schemes and a, a similar artistic kind of look to them. And it's really just these themed novellas. So one's, I think, uh, like splatter westerns. I think 10 is a zombie thing. Um, there's one that's a Halloween theme, I think. So they're just these themed books with, um, with three different writers. And, and they've gotten some really fantastic writers. Uh, James Moore has done one. Uh, I think Jason Parent did one before this. So there's, he's in two of them. And th- some of them are, there's, uh, this writer, Michael Burke, who hasn't published a whole lot of stuff. I know him because he owned a comic book shop that I used to shop at, still owns. And um, it was really wonderful to see him in a book with James Moore because he hasn't published that much. So to see them pushing newer writers alongside, um, you know, really established ones is wonderful too. How, how did the title get into it, uh, Dracreta? Uh, uh, great uh, um, <laughs> yeah, that was Willie's idea. We were throwing around um, title ideas, and I believe that's the the symbol there, that Celtic symbol that's on the cover. It was just to kind of tie it in, is uh, like a with the Celtic theme. I had proposed, I think I had proposed threefold death, which is um, like another like, thing tied in with I think like dru- druidic. Um, tradition and such but yeah we thought the unholy triquetra just fit the theme well so we went with it what now uh, you're, you're working you've got this book out now you're you're doing this and marketing it some and stuff but what are you working on that we'll see coming up next um well i do i, I have my own imprint at weird house press um that i've been working on and i'm doing some anthology editing some anthologies for them i have an anthology called 13 possessions which i co-edited which will be coming out in a few months and i'm writing a book called couch surfing through the 12 chambers of hell which is a um it's about a aging rock star whose wife and daughter have died in tragic circumstances and he's kind of traveling across Route 50 from California to the East Coast, and it mirrors the 12 hours of the Egyptian afterlife. So it's kind of a, a surreal vibe to it. It's not, I wouldn't call it horror exactly, but it's definitely kind of dark modern fantasy with some horror elements, but much more surreal. And um, that's been a lot of fun to write, and I'm almost done with that. Wow. So when you're, when you're thinking of these ideas, so, so what are you like um... – Stoned in the basement or something. Like, where, <laughs> I've like, actually, where, where does this all start? Like, believe it or just not, driving down the road. I've or? never, I've never even drank a beer. The only time I've ever been high is when I got Viking for a tooth infection. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, I just I think a lot. I just I, I spend a lot of time in my own head, and I I write down anything that seems remotely interesting. You know, I it's kind of silly, and I, I joke about it, but it's kind of true. Before I ever wrote comics or did anything, or even I, I played music before that. Before any of that, though, you know, I played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, and I would run D and D games and such. So, and you know, we were broke, so we never like bought made adventures or anything we just made everything up ourselves um and i think playing D and running running role-playing games really taught me how to be creative in a lot of ways um and i also think that growing up reading comics um you know comics are kind of seen as like non-literature or whatnot but one of the th- cool things about comics to me especially something like Marvel, is they just didn't care. They drew from everything. You, like, like take Dr. Doom, you know, he's like a scientist and a sorcerer and a time traveler, and he's got this robot armor. Um, so it really exposed me to a lot of different genres all at once. The same thing with kind of like trashy cinema. Um, I feel like I just have a lot, a lot of genre and like fantastical elements ingrained in me that I can draw from and, uh, and get ideas from. So now the the horror writers community, what do you think of it? Like, is it a pretty strong one? And how, what do you think of the the horror world as it is right now? Oh, I think it's an incredible community. You know, it's there's this whole thing about how kind it is, and it really is true. Um, it's very accepting, very supportive. Um, I think that yeah, it's a wonderful community, and I think that it's like anything, it's better in person. I think that if you go just into some of the online spaces. Occasionally it can seem kind of toxic because people are a little bit performative online. But um, but in person especially, it's fantastic. And I have very few people I've ever had a problem with, and most people have been wildly supportive. Um, well, hopefully we can change that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how did you find the horror community? I know I, I found the community, you know, way back on the old Shocklines um, uh, bookstore message board. But uh, how was it for you? Um, well, like I said, I've been doing comics. And when I've, the comics industry or community was much different to me because, especially as a writer, um, other writers weren't really supportive of each other because everybody's fighting over artists and, you know, like the few jobs <laughs> there are. The, one of the guys who works for one of the big shots at Top Cow Comics talked about how you um, there are more professional NFL players than there are professional comic creators. So, like, um, you know, since it was that competitive, it was it wasn't as friendly. And then I wrote I wrote a horror comic called The Wrong House, and it got optioned for film, and nothing ever came of it, but it got optioned. So at that point, I joined the Horror Writers Association, and James Chambers was the person who kind of, like, guided me into that, who was working for them. And from there, I from the Horror Writers Association, I started meeting people, and that's how I kind of got involved in it. And then, out of um, sheer ignorance of how things work, I sent <laughs> one of my books to S.T. Joshi, who's kind of like the... You literally wrote the book on H.P. Lovecraft, you know, um, right. and I sent him a collection I did, and he said, well, this has some potential, but you need to do this, this, and this better, and, like, go read these books and everything, and I did what he said, and then I sent him 
uh, my next book. And he was like, this is fantastic, you know, and he introduced me to, to a lot of people um, after that. Did you have to sleep with him? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you heard that here. Okay. Well, that's good. I mean, that's, that's the only way. Right? Yeah. Hopefully hey, somebody makes a meme of that. I, well, yeah. yeah. You know, this is the, yeah. Now, listen, social media, are you uh, out, out and about? Are you kind of all over the place? Do people find you? Do you have a website? How do they contact you? Um, yeah, so I have a website, um, curtismlawson.com, but I'll accept just about any friend request on Facebook. I use my real name. That's not a pen name, so you can just find me. Um, I'm on Twitter or X or whatever it is now is at C underscore Lawson, and Instagram is Curtis M. Lawson. So I'm, I'm all over the place, and I'm, I'm pretty accessible. If people want to message me or whatever, they, they can do that. How was writing over the COVID for you? Did it, did, does that sort of experience influence how you write? No, so that didn't really. So it was weird. I had a weird COVID experience because is my day job. I was working at a hardware store, and my wife was working from home at that point because because of COVID. So the other guys at the hardware store, a lot of them were older guys, so they didn't want to go to work anymore, and it was considered um, an essential. You know, we were considered essential workers. So I ended up. It, before that point, I had basically been a stay-at-home dad and a writer, and I worked like just on the weekends a few hours. So during COVID, I ended up working almost full-time again, and it, it really cut down on my writing. Um, <laughs> so I had kind of a reverse COVID experience than most people. That's completely opposite. Most people are the other way, you know. Yeah. But, did, did, you know, did the, dark, did the darkness, like when you're out there and seeing weird stuff going on, people behaving weird, you know. Uh, with the COVID and stuff, and there's a lot of tension and, you know, out there, politics and stuff, and all this intense stuff going on. Do you think that kind of makes you write darker or feel darker? Um, I would say feel darker. So for me, what that really did, anything, anything once you get, like, that real, like, kind of angry division between people kind of puts me in a dark place, and it it generally makes you feel kind of lonely. I have this weird kind of chronic loneliness anyways, where, you know, this, this tortured artist, I don't fit anywhere in the world kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so, um, and I don't really, I don't consider COVID like a political thing, but it became a political thing, you know? Um, right, and right. I don't really view the world through a political lens. It's just not how I see things. So anything that makes people get more, divisive on those grounds makes me kind of, I guess, pull back in general into myself. And I, I'm sure that that affects my writing because it just affects how I, how I view the world, how I interact with the world. And um, I'm sure that it's also made me a little bit more antisocial, which makes me write more, which is <laughs> because I'm not going <laughs> Yeah. Well, do, do, you give, do you make people die torturously, like really, really bad? I'll tell you, in that, uh, that story in, in, in An Unholy Triquetra, one of the characters has a really bad death. <laughs> um, there you go. And, Is that someone you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I just really it came down to the, um, the mechanics of the story and what they had at their disposal. And uh, so I had to go online, and I looked up what would happen if someone got shot in the belly with a flare gun. 
And there's a video on YouTube of a ballistics dummy getting shot in the stomach with a flare gun. And it's pretty of course, brutal. what else? <laughs> what isn't on YouTube? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, uh, there's some brutal deaths. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I've been known to put some characters. You kill off people torture. you know? I have, I have. You didn't, yeah, not, okay, not now story. let's get the names. Come on. Let's so, um, I won't give any names, but there's uh, <laughs> in Blackheart Boys Choir, there's a, there's a character um, named, um, oh, what's his, I'm going to end up using the real name of the person. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, let's say Dave. So, um, <laughs> But there, there's a character in there which is a combination of two people who were kind of like high school bullies to me. And um, I just combined their names, like one of their first names, one of their last names. And, and uh, he gets shot in the face. So. Well, there you see, that makes sense. There's total sense. I think that's great. He, you know, he, for, in, he probably deserved it. Yeah. You know, and, you know, so it's fine. I mean, I don't know. I'm just that way. I'm yeah. Very, well, listen, it's been a pleasure having you on and listening to you about your new book and, and horror and comics and everything else. And uh, we wish you the best. Hopefully it goes well and and you'll be the next Stephen King. You know? <laughs> be nice. <laughs> Thank you, you so much. Know. There has to be another, right? It won't there be has the same, to be. but it'll be someone. There's always the new Beatles, right? There's yep. always somebody, right? <laughs> so, well, anyway, our guest, uh, again, we'll have your everything up, your website, we'll have your book up, and uh, anything we can on our website and area so people can find you easily with one click. So, Mr. Curtis M. Lawson, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Curtis. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.